Welcome to Retina in Focus, a VRC podcast. Stay ahead of your eye health with insights from the nation's leading doctors in retina and macula care. For more information, visit vrcny.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, and welcome to an episode of Retina in Focus. Thank you for joining us. I'm here with my partner, David Fassberg. I'm Brett Rosenblatt. We are partners at Vitrio Rental Consultants of New York, part of Retina Consultants of America. And today we uh, thought we'd speak about macular degeneration and some of the related information about it. So I thought to start off, we would discuss what is the macula and then what is macular degeneration. So the macula is part of the eye. Inside the eye, you have the retina, which is the lighting that is like the film in the camera. So when light goes in your eye, you're focusing on the macula. So your central vision, what you drive with, what you read with is coming from the macula. And for a lot of our patients, that part of the eye degenerates over time. And one of the more common conditions that we deal with here is called age-related macular degeneration. And many people uh, have heard that there's different types, the wet and the dry. Dr. Fassberg, can you give me an idea of what you tell people about that? Sure. Well, you know, first of all, in addition to what Dr. Rosenblatt is saying, macular degeneration is the single leading cause of visual impairment in individuals over the age of 40. And as we all tend to age longer based on better medical care, this condition becomes that much more prevalent. But typically, macular degeneration presents in what we call the dry degeneration of the atrophic form, which is, as I describe to patients, is just an aging change of the eye. And currently, there's no specific treatment for it, although we'll get into this a little later, there are a number of clinical trials that are going on nationally that, that our group is affiliated with and involved with that hopefully will bring some hope to the future for people with dry macula. Just to also reference it from a standpoint of uh, percentages, only maybe 20% of people convert from what's called dry degeneration to wet. Dry degeneration, again, as I mentioned, is an aging process, and one can typically have symptoms of a distortion of vision in that eye. When we by distortion, lines that normally could be straight, but could look wiggly. Objects could be smaller than they appear or larger than they appear. Clearly, there's a difference between the vision that has developed dry macular changes versus normal. And again, right now, the only therapy we know that's available for that is to take a certain dose of vitamins, that has been shown to be effective in reducing the risk of the dry form for becoming wet. Now, I don't want to minimize some of the complications of dry because it can vary. There's different types of dry degeneration. Typically, it's characterized by what we call drusen and pigmentary changes in the macula. Drusen is kind of like the normal metabolism of the retina is impaired and you know cells are constantly being replaced throughout our body or skin, every part of your body. And unfortunately, the metabolism for the uh, removal of, of certain cells gets backed up and develops into what we call drusen in the back of the eye. It's almost similar to having some constipation of the cells. It's just not getting out. And again, one could have these symptoms that associate with it. Now, some people could have dry macular degeneration, as you know, and not have any symptoms until they come into the office and we look at them. On the other hand, there are severe forms of dry, one of which is called atrophy or geographic atrophy of the macula, which can cause very severe visual loss. So 
the last thing we want to do is tell someone necessarily, oh, you're lucky is only dry. It's not wet because dry can be bad. Yeah. So I think everything you said is true. In a retina practice, we get a subset of patients with macular degeneration. So I think in general public, certainly even in a ophthalmology practice, most of the patients that are being seen have the early types of macular degeneration where it may be minimally symptomatic or just completely no symptoms at all. The patients that start to have vision problems are the ones that come to our practice. So we're seeing patients with wet macula at a much higher frequency than the 20% that we know is the average. Um, and we also see a lot of patients with advanced dry. It used to be when I first started practice, there was a good type and a bad type. And classically, the good type was the dry and the bad type was the wet. And back when I first started practice 20 years ago, there wasn't much you can do for the wet macula. You could do laser, which didn't work then well. There was some experimental treatments. Uh, the dry, at least, was very slow to develop and often didn't cause symptoms for years or even decades. So I'm wondering, do you still call dry the good type and wet the bad type? It's a misnomer, really, because in a way, sometimes I think it's better to have the wet because you can treat it. And there's hope versus dry when up to this point there haven't been. We'll get into clinical trials. I mean, I've been around a couple of years more than Brett has, even though he may look a little grayer than I do. But, Thank you. Uh, but in any event, you know, in the older days, there really was only one treatment, and that was laser. And laser, thermal laser, which was a destructive therapy. And there were times that we would tell patients who had wet macular degeneration that will, and we'll go into wet in a second because we really haven't done that, yeah. that we're going to treat you, we're going to make your vision worse, but it's going to prevent it from being as bad as it would be if we didn't do anything. Yeah. And that's a very difficult conversation to have with the patient. But I think first, before we get into more specifics about that, Brett, let's talk a little about, you know, explain about what wet degeneration is exactly. Right. So I agree with you. I don't really use the term the good type and the bad type. It really is you have wet or dry. And the wet is the more serious in terms of the timing. So something with dry may be stable or very, very slowly progressing over the course of, of years. Uh, but the wet type is usually an abrupt onset. So someone could be doing pretty well, seeing fine, and from one day to the next, lose a significant amount of vision. So I don't use the term good type and bad type anymore. I think you know now that we have treatments, um, basically you either have wet macula or dry macula with some variations. The wet type is distinguished by the fact that it's abruptly appearing. So someone could be doing fine, seeing well, one day, the next day they wake up or during the day they lose significant amount of vision. So it's quite dramatic and often very scary for the patient. Typically they'll go see the regular optometrist or ophthalmologist who will then examine them. And once they see signs of wet macula, which we'll go over in a moment, they refer them to a retina specialist like us. And at that point, you know, we can go over what the exam's like and what the experience is, but Wet macula basically means that some of these areas in the macula have started to leak. It's typically these small blood vessels underneath the retina. They get fragile with time, uh, and they'll either start to leak a clear, watery fluid, or they'll bleed. Uh, so it's the liquid that we refer to when we say wet, whether it's blood or clear fluid. Once that starts to accumulate, then it affects the vision. And some people have just slight distortion, as Dr. Vassberg was mentioning. Other people come in and they basically can't see anything in the center of their vision. Right. You know, one other point is, you know, every single patient we see with macular degeneration, dry or wet, we give them what's called an Amsler grid. It's a cord that has a dot in the center, it lines, and 
we point out to them how important it is to look at that grid every single day and covering one eye at a time, because it's amazing how many people can come in who never covered one eye versus the other and didn't even realize that one eye was a problem. So by forcing one eye closed, it makes you pay attention to the other eye and you have a better chance of picking up this problem earlier that way, and we have a better chance of success in treating them. So every single patient with macular degeneration, whenever they present to our office, we'll give them a grid and we'll explain to them the importance of it. You know, as Dr. Rosenblatt was just talking about with when in the older days, and again, I've been around longer than Dr. Rosenblatt, the only option we had to treat these people was with a thermal laser, which is a destructive therapy. So you're basically destroying the diseased or wet area of the retina that's leaking, but very possibly at the same time, you could reduce overall vision. In fact, one of the toughest conversations I remember having to have with some people or that I could offer them a treatment that would, in the long run, keep them from losing maximal vision, but in the short term, their vision would be worse right after the treatment. And that was a very tough conversation to have with people. Then we went through a phase where there was another type of laser called a cold laser or photodynamic therapy, which we could treat and didn't cause as much destruction, but it was very, very time consuming. You had to inject a certain type of uh, medication to their arm. Then you treated it with a laser and they had to stay out of the sunlight for about 48 to 72 hours because the drug that's in their arm that sensitizes the blood vessels to the wavelength of labor that's treated, it also sensitized the whole body to light. So you could get a terrible sunburn if you went outside uh, after getting this photodynamic therapy. And it brings us up to the point of what we're doing these days now, which is the use of drugs that we inject into the eye. Before we get to that, I was um, thinking maybe we just kind of briefly go over what the experience of coming to a retina specialist for the first time with this diagnosis. So a lot of patients, as you can imagine, are quite upset when they realize they can't see well, they see their ophthalmologist or optometrist told they have a wet macula and need to see a retina specialist. You know, we do this day in, day out. It's, it's second nature to us, but you got to imagine most patients are quite stressed and anxious about it. But just to kind of go over what I, I believe is the typical experience when you see a retina doctor, similar to when you see your regular eye doctor, you're going to get some preliminary testing, whether we check your vision, check your eye pressures, and then typically put some drops in your eyes to dilate your pupils because it's very important to see what's going on in the back of the eye. Uh, and the dilation allows us to see it clearly. At some point in the visit, you'll get some pictures or tests. I have you mentioned what those are for in a moment. But uh, when you meet with the retina specialist, uh, they'll examine your eyes very thoroughly, spending most of their time looking at the back of the eye at the macula. And we're looking for blood, we're looking for fluid. We're trying to get a sense of how extensive it is, but also how long it's been there. As Dr. Fassabert was mentioning, it's very important to catch this early because if someone has had loss of vision for weeks and didn't realize it, by the time they come in, the treatment may not work as well as if it happened within the last few days. Uh, so those are the things we're looking at. Can you just discuss a little bit of what kind of testing we typically do? Sure. Well, the first thing is, as Dr. Roosevelt mentioned, is that pupils get dilated and we'll examine the patient, but then we'll send people for what's called an OCT, which is an the computerized tomography, where we can actually look at layers of the retina one by one and determine whether there's any fluid in either the superficial or deeper retina 
which is an incredibly beneficial test. But then what's also necessary is called a fluorescein angiogram. And that's where we inject a vegetable dye in one of the arm veins and it circulates and we can pinpoint the areas of leakage. Now, sometimes you can have what's called classic leakage where you can definitively see where the leak is coming from. If it's actually in an area that's way away from the center, we can actually still do thermal laser on it. But in many cases, it's not, and we'll get into the treatment of that. But then you could also have what's called occult leakage where we don't know where it's coming from. We know it's there, and those have to be treated as well. But typically, that has to be treated with injection of medication. But those are the main tests that we use. Typically, we get an OCT on people almost every visit because we want to monitor the progression of their treatment. We want to monitor the progression of the disease. We don't do fluorescein angiography on every visit. Typically, we'll do it as a baseline test, and we'll do it uh, prior to any change in their status that we feel they need to. Brett, I think it's interesting, you know, being here for a little more than 20 years, you've kind of seen the changeover to therapy from what, what I was mentioning earlier with lasers. So maybe you can discuss a little bit about uh, how injections were found to be helpful and what's the whole process associated with the injections into the eye. Yeah, no, that's true. When I was uh, doing my training, we really didn't have any injections except for some, you know, very small clinical trials. And early in my career, we kind of made the switch over from what Dr. Fassberg was mentioning about doing this destructive laser, which was our only option, to much more effective treatment. I don't think I can overstate how impactful these uh, treatment modalities have been for so many people. We millions of people see today because of these that wouldn't otherwise. Uh, yeah, so early in my career, so we're talking about probably about 18 years ago, there was some evidence that you can chemically block what causes the leakage in someone's eyes. So we have leaky blood vessels. There's something being produced in our eyes that's causing these blood vessels to leak. It's a growth factor called VEGF. Some researchers in Boston realized that you can create a antibody type substance to block the action of that growth factor. And there was already in development medication to deprive tumors, GI tumors, or tumors elsewhere in the body. If you deprive the tumors of blood flow, and the blood circulation, you could shrink the tumors. And so someone in Miami was very enterprising and they tried giving the same medication that was used to treat tumors for patients with macular degeneration where there was leakage and uh, turns out it worked really well. Well, it's interesting because the guy who did that, his name is Phil Rosenfeld. He noticed patients who were getting this drug called Avastin for tumors that Dr. Rosenfeld just mentioned and these people also had macular degeneration and they reported that their vision was getting better. And what he postulated was that the same drug that they were using to treat these tumors was also, you know, eventually working its way into the eye and helping that. So that's when he was the first guy who found out the, the benefit of injecting part of this drug into the eye. So after they realized it worked intravenously, it would seem um, probably a better way to administer to put it directly in the eye. And we'll get into what that involves, because it sounds like it may be painful or sorry, unpleasant. It's scary, absolutely. But it turns out if you inject something directly in the eye, then you get a very high concentration of the medicine where it's needed, and you also limit the concentration of the medicine elsewhere in your body. Therefore, you get fewer side effects. So it's actually a great way to get medicine into the eye for macular degeneration. And then over the, the next 15 years or so, uh, we've been lucky enough to have 
you know, improved iterations of that medication that was first used. Uh, right now we have several, uh, there's other ones in the pipeline that are gonna be uh, hopefully available soon, but it's still looking for ways of locking the mechanism that causes leakage. So right now, I'd say a majority of our patients with wet macular degeneration are getting injections in their eye. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's like, how often you're getting them? What It sounds scary. What's the actual experience like? You know, it's exactly as Brent was saying. You know, when you first tell a patient you're going to get an injection and in the eye, they go, you mean in the eye? And I go, yeah, it's in the eye. And the way we deal with this is we locally anesthetize the eye. And many of us will use either a special little clip that will keep the eye open or we put some uh, antiseptic ointment in to prevent an infection. And then with a very, very tiny needle injected into the eye itself. It's usually after the first injection easier as people are just a little more used to it. But typically we'll tell patients they need to be injected every month for two to three to four months until we start seeing a response. And then we'll start doing what we call treat and extend, which I think most groups around the country believe in, where we'll extend the interval of injection by one week or two weeks or three weeks every time we get an injection. So we find kind of a time where these eyes will be stable. And when I tell people the holy grail of these injections, at least with the drugs that are available now, is four months. If you can get to a point of getting a shot once every four months, you're lucky. Because that basically means three times a year getting a shot and you're keeping the eye from bleeding. On the other hand, there are some people that need shots every month. But, you know, I think by and large, people are so happy to not lose vision that I know that I've had some moments where I've told people maybe we can stop or extend it more, and they go, no, I don't want you to take that chance. I prefer to be treated because I know it works for me. So, you know, just to reiterate one thing Brent said earlier, these drugs are injected to the eye. It's really one of the most unbelievable things that have happened to us as doctors, let alone patients, because you can pretty much tell people you're not going to go blind from this condition. We can minimize that. We're not going to say that you're not going to have some symptoms or distortion of blurred vision, but it's really been a lifesaver for so many people. It allows them to continue to work. It allows them to sometimes come here by themselves. They don't require family members to bring them. It's really an incredible, incredible advance, one of the most incredible advances in medicine. So, Dr. Fassman, you have a great perspective on this. Compare it to 20 years ago and say, how do your patients do today with macular degeneration, the wet type, compared to 20 years ago? Well, incredibly better. I mean, you know, these patients can many, many, many times just go back to normal life. They come in for their injection and just go back to their existence, you know, sometimes even the same day versus the older days when we were doing a more destructive therapy, they had more significant permanent visual loss that could not be recovered. And the beauty of these injections are that even if we sometimes will treat someone and they'll break down, we can then reinstitute treatment at a different level or a different frequency and get it back to what they were before. But the one thing that I think it's very important for patients to always be aware of that I tell them is that even though the drug that we're injecting into your eye is accomplishing what we want, that we're stopping the leakage, we're stopping the bleeding, there are times that they'll come in and say, but doctor, my vision is still getting a little worse. And I go, that's because the dry degeneration is still moving on. They have to understand that the dry degeneration doesn't disappear when the wet appears. The dry is still there. 
I kind of describe it as the aging process. You know, yeah. your, your aging process is going on. But as of this moment, we don't have treatment for it, although we'll talk a little bit about this. We're actually involved in a number of clinical trials for some of the dry forms of degeneration. And I really believe that we'll see more and more of that as time goes on, because honestly speaking, the drug companies are more and more interested in that because there's many, many more patients with dry than wet. So my hope is that in the future, that leave me better options for people. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. A uh, couple of things just to emphasize. First of all, in my experience, we can now tell patients who come in with wet macula that the odds are in their favor that they are not going to lose significant vision if they come in good vision still. Whereas when I first started my career, I would tell people, you're going to lose vision. It's just a matter of how much and how quickly. Um, and to reiterate, even if we are effective in treating the wet macula, the dry is a chronic kind of relentless process. In fact, macular degeneration is a relentless process. Patients will often say, how often do I have to come back here and get these injections? And I'll say, often we can slow down the injections or space them out or even stop them sometimes, but you still have the disease. It's a chronic disease, just like someone with high blood pressure is going to need to take their blood pressure medication for a long time, if not forever. Uh, when you have macular degeneration, you're going to need to be monitored carefully for a long time. The innovations in the field with new medications is going to change how often patients get injections, how often they need to be checked. There's even medications out now that are extending the time between injections, surgical procedures. So I think the future looks good for people with macular degeneration, but I'm not sure we're quite at the point where we can say we have a cure, but effective treatment for sure. I think we're extremely lucky as a group and being involved with uh, Renda Consultants of America that we really get the opportunity to participate in many, many of these clinical trials that afford the opportunity of some patients to get some of the newer stuff. Just so people understand what a clinical trial is, it's something that's sponsored by the very drug companies. But it's, first of all, it's for free to patients. So it really is helpful to patients who can't afford things. But beside that, you know, explain to patients that you're getting an opportunity of being treated with a drug that potentially may be better than the other drugs that's been already checked out in safety trials before they enter into the clinical trial that not only is going to help them, but the truth is it's going to help humanity because the only way to find out about these drugs is through these trials. So we're very, very fortunate here that we have the opportunity to be involved in, in so many trials. And we've all seen the fruition of some of these trials to some of the drugs we're currently using now. And uh, I think it's, as Brett was saying, you know, we feel good. We can tell patients that we can prevent them from losing significant vision, but it makes us feel good as providers that we can feel good about what we're doing for somebody. And it's really an incredible benefit that we have these things available. You know, if something you just mentioned, if you think we um, didn't talk about risk factors, I know I overheard you talking to patients about clinical trials. I know I've used the thought process as well. This is a disease that runs in families. So often you'll have patients who are getting treatments who come in with their, you know, son or daughter or other family members, and they're very worried that their children or grandchildren are going to also be at risk for this. And as we both know, it's one of the more genetic related diseases. So if you have a strong family history of it, you're at much higher risk. So clinical trials obviously benefit the patient because we're allowed to get them into uh, treatment protocols that may not be available to everybody else for years. 
Uh, but it's also important to kind of move the field forward and uh, make progress so the next generation has, you know, even better treatments. Exactly. And if you go back in time, you know, there were people in the early 1900s who were dying because there was no such thing as penicillin. And uh, obviously we're not talking about death here, but we're talking about death of an eye that we could prevent now. And it's just an incredible feeling to know you can do that for people. You know, the gift of sight is very traumatic and the loss of it is very traumatic too. So we're lucky to live at a time that we can do stuff. Yeah, we're definitely um, on the front lines of where vision impacts your life, right? So many people assume they go through a life with vision problems, they get glasses and fix the problem or get a little bit older and they need cataract surgery to fix their vision. Often when someone's diagnosed with macular degeneration, it's the first time they kind of come face to face with the fact that they can lose their independence, lose the ability to do the things that they enjoy. So it's obviously a very emotionally acute situation. And um, on top of that, talking about the risk of loss of vision, the need for these injections, definitely an emotional situation. But I do want to say overall patients that are under our care getting these treatments, they're relatively happy. It's not a bad experience coming to the office and getting a treatment. You know, they kind of know what to expect. We have a very kind of um, well-oiled process to make sure that the eye is comfortable, that your experience is limited in terms of the time of it, and you know exactly what to expect. So I, I don't want people to think that getting the diagnosis of macular degeneration and needing these treatments is you know, a major life-changing event. It's obviously a major importance, but I think we try to make it somewhat easy to go through. And I think as time goes on, there'll be better things. I mean, one of the things being talked about soon now is the uh, genetic changes. You can inject genes. Uh, they're working on this research thing. Now, in the clinical trial right yeah, now. We're, right. Yeah, we're, so we're in a lot of clinical trials and there's national trials and we're pretty selective of which ones we're participating in. But one of them, as you alluded to, is looking at how you can modify the genetics of the cells in your eye so your cells produce the medicine that we've been injecting. So that would be a game changer. That may limit the injection to one for a lifetime. Correct. We have other studies that are looking at treating dry macular degeneration. So we're hoping that over the next year or so, we'll have FDA-approved treatments for dry. We're really lucky as a group because, I mean, we're a huge, large group and we're involved with this national group called RCA, as we talked about. So typically, we'll have the first shot at a lot of these trials and uh, most of our patients are referred by other ophthalmologists, optometrists, and word of mouth. Patients hear about it, whether it be in publication, whether it be from their internists or whatnot. So we're very fortunate that we could be on the forefront of new advances that are going on. Well, David, thank you. It's been great talking to you about this. And, uh, you know, we hope to continue to bring important and uh, relevant content to viewers in the future. And I want to thank everybody for their time. Appreciate yeah, it. Pleasure.